Welcome to Season 5 of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Farina, a veterinarian, a writer. I've worked in the animal healthcare industry, and prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and a radio personality. So yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. In each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a veterinarian or technician so they can share their own directions and journeys, what's worked, what hasn't, and how they've made it all fit. Thank you for joining me as we explore veterinary medicine combined with all the other aspects of our lives. One last thing, thank you Zoetis. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support this incredible profession. Today, we get to chat with Dr. Tierra Price, a veterinarian who doesn't just take the high road, she takes the road that hasn't even been cleared yet. We have the fortunate opportunity to talk to a real trailblazer who was actually featured in Time Magazine, so we are so glad you're here with us. Yes, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So let's kind of start at the beginning. You were awarded a Doctor of Veterinary Medicine degree from Virginia, Maryland College of Veterinary Medicine last year, along with a Master's of Public Health degree with a concentration in infectious disease. Is this an interesting time for you in this pandemic? And I'm and I, it's a two-part question because I'd like to know from both a new grad perspective and then infectious disease. I like to think that the class of 2020 went through a lot, especially at Virginia Tech for us, because we were actually the first um, class to undergo what they called the new curriculum. So we had a big curriculum change uh, in 2016, 2015, 2016. And so the class of 2020 was the first graduating class of this new curriculum. And so we had been adaptable. We had been ever evolving for the last four years. And I think that that really helped us to take the pandemic in stride and realize that things are changing. They're changing very quickly and we have to adapt very quickly to them. Um, And I will say that I think, I wonder if it was harder for the recent graduates that had been out for five years or less, or even people that had been out for 10 years or less to make the transition during the pandemic as far as practicing goes, because they had gotten used to seeing clients in the building. They had gotten used to the way that they were practicing medicine, being able to have clients present in the room for exams, for euthanasias, for all kinds of things, and being able to have face-to-face communication. Um, I walked into curbside practice, and I don't know anything different now because I've been doing it for almost a year. Right, right. And, you know, as we're talking about, um, you know, just just the time it is now, I'm curious, did you know going to vet school that you wanted to also, you know, study infectious disease? Was this something that you were always interested in? So my interest in veterinary medicine was always changing, always, always changing. I grew up wanting to work with cats and dogs because that's all I knew. And I went to college thinking that I wanted to have some connection with food um, and food safety, food security. Nutrition was very important to me. And I really, it really stemmed from wanting to educate people about where our food came from. There were a lot of people that I encountered that had no idea <laughs> where our food comes from. And they had no idea how, um, you know, the, the farm to table type um, pathway. And so that sparked an interest in nutrition, 
um, farming, large animal medicine, food safety, food security. And so that was kind of what I thought I would be doing. And I pursued some of those pathways. Uh, I was a USDA multicultural scholar in undergrad. And so um, we explored a lot of nutrition and nutrition routes and how veterinarians play a role in that. And so coming into veterinary school, I thought maybe I want to work for the government. Maybe I want to work in public health. Maybe I want to be a large animal vet. (laughs) So again, all over the place um, with a lot of interests. (laughs) But, um, But once I got into veterinary school, I realized that I did love um, infectious diseases. I love disease tracking. I loved how infectious disease can um, connect people globally. And we've seen that with COVID, with the pandemic, right? Because we're all in this together. There's not a country that is not affected by this right now. And so that um, also played a big role in why I wanted to study infectious diseases. Right. Right. It's so interesting because you realized the benefit of being a veterinarian and studying public health because you could have just gone the public health route. Yeah, you know, and that's true. I I could have gone the public health route and I think that I would have been really sad because I really do love veterinary medicine. I really do love animals and it it feels almost like a different language being able to you know, communicate problems that are happening within an animal that can't even talk to me. So, um, so I love that part and I'm so glad that I pursued both because I don't think I would have felt fulfilled with just the public health route or with just the DVM. Mm-hmm. And I see, I'm connecting the dots here, but I'd like for you to share your thoughts on your reasons for beginning your career in shelter medicine. <laughs> yes. So, um, one of the biggest things about shelter medicine is that, um, that's where my roots are. That's where I started. My love for veterinary medicine was in the shelter. I always wanted pets more than one and my mom never wanted any. So <laughs> she wanted zero and, um, her vote counted a lot more than mine. So, so she took me to the animal shelter, our local animal shelter in Louisville, and my uncle worked there. Um, and so I was able to get my foot in the door pretty early on. Growing up in the shelter, I thought, you know, man, I don't know if I want to do this. Like there has to be more to veterinary medicine. But um, as I started to progress through veterinary medicine and thinking about infectious diseases, thinking about population health, it honestly brought me (laughs) right back around to the shelter, right? Because we're managing large populations. We're thinking about how diseases are transmitted and transferred between animals. Um, We're thinking of what's the best way to do something that affects the most animals, right? So we're not really looking at a lot of individual treatments and things like that. And so uh, my my MPH <laughs> came back in handy uh, wanting to work again with shelter and rescue animals. Right. Because a lot of it, and I've done shelter work too, is herd health really is what you're doing in a shelter. Yeah. It circled, it circled all the way um, back around, you know, um, pu- public health is herd health for people. Many veterinarians often avoid looking into nonprofit work, I think because of perceived like salary challenges or perceived stigmas. I was curious what you think the perceived barriers are as to why more veterinarians don't go into you know, nonprofit or shelter medicine? Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of miseducation or a lot of um, misconceptions about shelter work and about nonprofits. 
we know a lot about the things that we learned in school, but maybe we don't know so much about structures of businesses or how how certain organizations are structured. And um, so, yes, you could end up at a nonprofit where they say, I'm sorry, we don't have the funding to pay a vet and we're looking for volunteers. Um, And that's, you know, work that people will volunteer their time to do. But other um, organizations or nonprofits that have a mission or a focus on providing veterinary care or providing um, animals with access to medicine, um, surgery, et cetera, you know, they will, they will use their funding to pay their professionals appropriately. And most nonprofits have the obligation of paying people uh, the market value of their position. I'm just curious, before we move on, is there any advice you would give to either veterinary students, technicians, um, or new grads, when, if they're interested in this area of medicine, what should they look for in, uh, what questions should they ask a potential employer? Yeah. So I would say if anyone is interested in shelter med, um, definitely get some time in a shelter before you um, make that decision and really get a good idea of what shelters do, especially if you're working at the government level. So if you're working for a local or a statewide type of organization, that is run by the government, you'll definitely want to get a good idea of where uh, their restrictions are, where the line is drawn, how they operate, because they are, their, their control is much more limited and your control there will be very limited because it's run by the government and, and change will happen a little bit slower maybe than you would like to see. When you're talking with an organization, you definitely want to hone in on their vision and their mission and make sure that you believe in those values. That's very insightful. Yeah. And I think that would be useful to know. Speaking of mission and vision, um, let, let's move forward to discuss Black DBM Network. Um, you are the founder So let's set the stage with what is its mission and vision? Yes, yes, yes. So Black DVM Network is a platform for the empowerment of Black veterinary professionals. And um, it is our mission to uh, help create successful, healthy, happy veterinary professionals with an emphasis on the Black community. And so what we do is we um, provide a safe space in a community for connectivity for Black veterinary professionals um, among themselves and for others with Black veterinary professionals. And we carry out our mission by hosting events for our members to um, learn more. And our focus areas for these events are financial literacy, entrepreneurship, wellness, professional development, and medicine. And we have these focus areas because they're a combination of really the intersection of problems that we see in the Black community along with the veterinary community um, in order to provide, you know, hopefully a really good resource for Black veterinary professionals. How did you know that? How did you know that those were the, the things that that uh, you could put your finger on and go, that's the issue. Those are the issues that we have to tackle. Yeah. So it's really funny because um, I don't really know anything it's really based off all of my experiences. <laughs> so a lot of people will come to Black DVM Network and, and kind of look and say, who's running this thing? She's, you know, fresh out of school. What does she know? And, um, you know, 
I don't have any hard scientific um, evidence-based knowledge to provide on this. I think that for for the Black community, certain issues have always um, rose to the top, such as wealth, legacy, generational wealth, and building wealth. It's, it's, it's been a chronic problem in the Black community, and we're always talking about it. Um, and so I knew that entrepreneurship and financial literacy would be two focus areas that um, I thought Black veterinary professionals could benefit from. Because, you know, sometimes you get to school you get to vet school and you're like, oh, I made it. It's going to be all downhill from here. And then it's not. And then you finish vet school and you're like, oh, I made it. It's all downhill from here. And it's and it's not. It just keeps getting harder. And a lot of people might get caught up in that cycle um, and they forget how to be creative or maybe, you know, they lose some passion or they just don't know that there are so many other opportunities in vet med out there. And so um, that's why we focus on financial literacy and entrepreneurship from uh, and for me, that's coming a little bit from uh, specific to the Black community. And then wellness is obviously, obviously an issue in veterinary medicine. Um, and that, you know, does not discriminate against anyone. And then professional development and medicine are just two things that you need to be a successful veterinarian, to be a successful professional in any in any career. Um, and I wanted to keep medicine in in the mix because I think um, it's hard, you know, when you're trying to do something new or you're trying to um, better yourself, if you're not getting the that continuing education for medicine also, you might put it on the back burner because you're saying, well, I just need to focus on medicine. I just need to be a better doctor. Um, and so you put everything else on the back burner. And I think it's really important to keep medicine at the forefront of things because that's why we're all here. That's what we love to do. And it sounds like too, so you have this platform, you have events, but then of course there's the mentoring and the networking. And I'm, I'd like to know why you feel that's important for an underrepresented group in veterinary medicine. Representation is really important. And I think that representation is hard to explain to people that are always represented. (laughs) It's not until you're Mm -hmm. underrepresented that you start to kind of notice how important um, representation is to to you and is to everyone else, really. And so um, Black DDM Network, we are are really good at showing people that there are people in vet med that look like you, even if it is still a very small number, there are people that look like you that maybe you can relate to that have similar backgrounds, similar experiences, um, and experience the same types of things in vet med as far as maybe discrimination or barriers, challenges, struggles. The way we hope people interact <laughs> is that you um, are on the platform and you can, you know, post a question, post a discussion, um, or you come to events. We have discussions after every event and you um, you can meet someone, right, uh, either online or at an event which is also online, but um, you can meet someone and you guys can find a way to connect and find a way to help each other out. The importance of having a connection with somebody, you know, I think I'm, I'm curious on what that looks like in the network. Is it a formal mentorship? Is it something that's built organically? What, like, tell us more about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what, so what do connections look like in black DVM network? So, um, first and foremost, we're 
a huge family. Um, we love each other and we spend <laughs> a lot of time together um, because we're usually having three or four events um, each month. But we don't have a, a formal mentorship program. So what this actually looks like um, and, and what Black DVM Network is actually developing for um, our success members um, are guides. And we call them guides, okay? This is a new concept, so bear with me, okay? So guides are somewhere in between a mentor and a coach. We love mentorship. Mentorship is so important. But if you've ever had a mentor-mentee relationship, you know that the mentee comes to the mentor with questions and the mentor says, you know, yes or no, or this is my experience. They help you, um, you know, sort through your own thoughts. I mean, mentor-mentee relationships are very interesting, but I've never had a mentor lay out everything for me and say, you need to do this step by step by step. And then you need to check in with me and I'm going to hold you accountable to do these things. And I've never had a mentor like that, but I've had coaches like that, right? Who say, this is what you need to do step by step by step. And I'm going to hold you accountable. And when you want to quit, I'm going to tell you to keep going. I'm going to force you to keep going. And so I think that um, the intersection between mentors and coaches is really where um, change happens. And so we're utilizing what we call guides to help people get to where they want to be without quitting, without feeling like there's too much pressure on them to know everything that they need to know. And so that they can really get from point A to point B, because like I said, I've been a part of so many things and it's so easy sometimes to, um, to fall off. You know, you feel like this is too much, this is overwhelming, um, and I just want to drop off. So it, it kind of fluctuates between this mentor-coach relationship, but it really serves to give Black veterinary professionals access to things that um, we are severely underrepresented in, right? Like practice ownership or um, other entrepreneurial um, pursuits in vet med. Yes, that's great. That's so smart. Guides. So, it's brand new. I just You're brilliant. Yeah, we just, um, everyone's going to be like, why did you say that on this podcast? But boom, big premiere on the Zoetis <laughs> podcast. Black TVM Network is coming out with guides. <laughs> you know, you have done work at the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, both on the East Coast and even externed at the Washington National Primate Research Center in Seattle. So, you must have been learning so much, not only clinical medicine and medical skills, but as you're talking about coaches and mentors and now guides, did you get that aspect too in that experience, in those experiences? Yeah. So um, that's a really good question. And I will say that um, I, I also danced. Um, and I, I still do dance um, since I was very, very young. So I was six, seven years old when I started dancing. Um, I danced for the University of Connecticut in, in college and undergrad. And then um, I taught dance for a little bit while I was at Virginia Tech um, in vet school. And da dance has always been a big part of my life. And from dance, that's where you see the coaching aspect come in, right? <laughs> 
Um, I love all of my dance coaches, but they were very, very, very hard on us um, for a good reason because they wanted to see us succeed. Traveling for externships, traveling to go to different places and get different experiences in veterinary medicine um, has shown me many, many different mentorship styles. And so I got a, I did get a little taste of, you know, what different mentors might look like and what those relationships can look like among people and, and, and in different industries. So for sure, those experiences definitely help. Are you still dancing? Uh, yes. So, um, here in Los Angeles, I only dance in my living room, um, through virtual class, (laughs) but, um, Los Angeles (laughs) is supposed to be opening up soon. And what style? Oh my goodness. So, I won't say everything because that would just be, that would be ridiculous, but a lot of things. So um, ballet, jazz, hip hop. At UConn, it was more of a, more of like a a game day cheer type thing. Um, But Uh that's always fun. How about tap? So it's funny. I did leave out tap (laughs) because... Because um, I will say that probably around the age of twelve, I was I was pretty much over tap, and um, I still know a few a few tap moves that I'll do while I'm waiting in line in, in the grocery store. But other than that, I don't. There would it would probably have to be a decent size amount of money for someone to get me to take a tap class. <laughs> it's so funny. But I think that shuffle thing is really. Really cool. You know, the shuffle, 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 shuffle. You know that I'm not a dancer at all, but I love to dance, but I'm not chained whatsoever. But I think it's really, I think tap's like super cool, which is why I was so excited to actually ask you, what about tap? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Huge disappointment here. Um, Yeah, it's it's so funny that you asked about that because I'm like, oh, everything. And then you're like, tap? And I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I think just even that you did it for as long as you did, it still really is pretty awesome. And um, yeah, at, at the tap is what I'm saying, yeah. but that you're, you're still dancing. Because don't you think it's really important to, as as we're both veterinarians, it's you should have something else besides veterinary medicine going on. You have to have something else besides veterinary medicine. It's, it's really not possible. And um I don't, I don't know that there's a person that truly is 100% vet med in their heart. You know, there's always things that we want to be doing and we maybe tell ourselves we don't have the time or we're too old. You know, we have all of these, I hate to say it, but excuses <laughs> that we use um, to kind of hide those passions and keep them lying dormant. And it's, it's something that you need. You need another outlet. Yeah. Yes. I love this. Well, we're, just about out of time, but I always like to ask, do you have any advice for veterinary students still in school or getting ready to graduate that you'd like to pass on? Oh my goodness. So there's probably so much, you know, um, that I could say, but I think that the most important thing, especially of what I've learned is that you have to be patient with yourself. It's, it's always a journey, right? And so um, you might think that you've gotten to the end, you know, once you've completed vet school, but that's really just the beginning of a new chapter and you're, you're kind of starting over. And so you have to be patient with yourself um, when it comes to learning the medicine, t- 
talking to the clients, examining animals, writing medical records, you know, all of those things are brand new and you shouldn't feel like you know them all. What you really know is a bunch of diseases that you need to diagnose, but you don't know anything else. (laughs) Uh, So be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself. You'll learn it. Um, And you'll probably still be learning for a really long time. I'm still, I'm still learning and still a baby doctor. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We, I, I had a blast. <laughs> it's been amazing. Well, thank you very much. This wraps up another episode of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. Please remember to visit VetVance at www.vetvance.com and check out Zoetis Commitment to Veterinarians on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get more information about life issues such as handling student debt, reducing stress, communication skills, and reputation management. VetVance is also available as a mobile app on both Apple and Android devices. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at scrubchat at zoetis.com. We'd love to hear from you. And please don't forget to share and review this podcast so we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. Until next time, I'm Dr. Kim Farina, and this is Scrub Chat. <laughs>